Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Vince and Zach. We're going to talk about a really interesting week of comics, which are the comics released on May 29th, 2019. If you haven't read them, pause the podcast and uh, catch up, and then we're going to dig into it. Real quickly, though, last week we talked about Tom King being uh, having his Batman run ended early. As predicted, there's going to be a 12-issue Batman and Catwoman series written by Tom King, illustrated by, is it Clay Mann? Clay Mann. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I predicted it correctly. Uh, sure. Congratulations. <laughs> um, you. You're, you're supposed to stand up for yourself, Brian. It's, it's fine. I, I'm just happy we got it right. <laughs> you know, I, you I heard think, it here first. You heard it here first, exactly. <laughs> even though the episode hasn't even come out yet. By the time we record, we're recording this one. Uh, that one still is not yet, but trust us, you heard it here first. Um, so, th- does that make us feel better about this? No, actually, it makes it worse, I think. Makes it worse? Yeah. Speak on that. Because... No, I don't think it makes it worse. I just think it's... <laughs> I don't know. I think... I think it's... Uh... I mean, I guess if the contents are going to be essentially the same as what we were getting, then it doesn't make any difference. But part of me thinks that this is just going to be even like more masturbatory and and annoying and than it would have been otherwise. I don't know. It actually may be better because we may get a really good Batman team now. I don't know. It might be good. We'll see. I don't... Uh... Yeah, no, maybe it's fine. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> any uh, any contradictory thoughts on this, Vince? Uh, well, Zach did a great job of convincing himself. <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, <laughs> no, I uh, I think I think it's certainly better than just canceling it and saying, uh, "Okay, Tom, wrap everything up by eighty-five." Um, I think. I think what Zach says about it possibly being more masturbatory now is true because because now it's almost like one of those uh, twelve issue maxi series that he writes, and I can imagine I can imagine him in DC essentially kind of going back and forth and saying, you know, okay, now you get to do a little bit more here, and um, you know, you you can feel free to be more out there than maybe we wanted you to be with the the Batman title. Uh, on the flip side of that, I could see it making it easier for DC to decide they can ignore some of it or, or retcon some of it later, you know, although they've never been shy to do that with basically any story. So, um, maybe it doesn't matter. Uh, I, I still think it's (laughs) keeping in mind that I don't really care about this run at all. I do think it's still a shitty thing to have happened and to, to have done. But I think Tom King in interviews, he, he seems to, I don't know what he feels like. I don't know what he really feels like, like deep inside, but he seems to be taking it really well. And if he's happy and everybody's happy, then, then fine. (laughs) Right. Sure. Sure. It, uh, it does seem like they have tossed their, you know, like, one of their stars to the side, even though he is so, 
you know, Eisner nominate, nominated and everything, it seems like they're, they are very much pushing him out of the way as they did with Morrison. It's very weird. It's very weird. It's very weird. You, you feel it, Morrison was pushed away? Pushed aside, kinda, yeah. Kind of, yeah. yeah. How so? For Snyder. No, Brian, he definitely was like he was because like, I mean, not so much with Batman and Robin, but definitely with Batman Inc. Like 1000%. I think Batman Inc. was a casualty of the new 52. Which, but but they were going to they were going to push Snyder's Batman as like the main thing. Regardless, I think. Okay, but I don't think that's necessarily the same thing as what we're talking about here. I think it it, it's not it's not the, the it's not it the, the same. same. I don't think it's the same thing, but it's Grant Morrison you're talking about. You know what I mean? Sure. It's not it's not exactly the same situation, but it's still a hell of a thing to do to a guy who to 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 one of the most historic creators you have writing for you, and he's writing your most popular character. So in that way, it is it is similar. I don't think it's exactly the same because. Um, I, I the reason I think it is very similar, almost the same, is because in both cases you have a writer who was critically acclaimed, who was shifted away from the center, shifted out of like the limelight before their story was completed. Yes. Like DC is moving on with Batman while this creator is still finishing up their story. So that's yes. why I think it's the same. Okay, I, and I think a very good point. I think the only reason it's, I think the only reason it's not the same, and I, I'm Zach, I mostly agree with you, but I do, I do think there is something to be said for DC saying, we are relaunching our entire line with the new Fifty Two, something that has never really been done in this way before, and what Morrison has planned next for Batman isn't what we want to launch that sort of initiative with. Whereas Tom King's situation is like, hey, look, we're not really making any like continuity changes or whatever. We just need you off that book. So well, we don't know that yet, though. I'm I feel pretty confident to say that there's not. I mean, there, there's a reboot coming or a relaunch eventually, but I'm pretty comfortable to say that this isn't being done with that in mind. You yeah, know what I mean, to me, the difference, and we have so much to talk about this week. We shouldn't talk anymore about this, but. Ah. Um, but you know, my uh, to me the big difference is that Morrison's Bat Run, in so many ways, is the uh, intellectual opposite of the New Fifty Two, where Morrison's Bat Run was about connecting all the past into one sort of digestible, um, messy, but complete image of of who Batman is and can be. And the New 52 was trying to take away anything that was messy or complicated. And it was it was streamlining everything in a way that is almost antithetical to what Morrison was doing. And so to me, the difference is just like one is, in, one is a line-wide ideology and one is just that we realized, like the DC3 cast has been telling us, this book is whack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if anyone at DC realizes that, and and I still feel like my. I that's fine. I still think my comparison stands just on the fact that, in both cases, both runs were sidelined before they were finished. 
Sure. That's really the only point I was trying to make. Okay. We're splitting. We're splitting hairs here. We this are. is all a psyop. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's the perfect final word for that uh, news topic. So anyway, let's get to this frankly insane week of books. First up, we have Batman: Last Night on Earth by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. The final Bat story from these two, or so we've been told. Although I do not believe that for one half of one second. Uh- <laughs> um, but that's a whole other story. Um, so, Zach, let's start with you. What did you think about this first issue in this three-issue prestige format series? I had a probably the widest range of, of takes and emotions with this issue. <laughs> it was a roller coaster. Um, at first, I kind of hated it which well, here let, let's uh, so let's go by chat by part one <laughs> the cave uh, um i was just like what the hell is this what is this well explain uh, why what what happens in that so a lot, lot of weird things happen so there is this um this um narrative monologue thing a character that we're i think we are led to think initially is alfred yes. maybe uh, did you all have that same impression alfred or possibly a robin yes maybe yeah gordon someone like some some long-standing uh close to bruce yeah yeah which we'll <clears throat> more on that later i I, this... yeah, I guessed it right away yeah well, well i did too so did i, I but I, but we're supposed I, to believe it's oh, somebody else is what we're trying yeah, to say right yes yeah, so you're being led to believe that it's not who it obviously is um so there's there's this mystery that takes place over a year. Uh, chalk drawings, Batman's body on Gotham, zombie baby Bruce. He's not a baby, <laughs> but he's a youth. Then, then Bruce wakes up in Arkham, and it's all a dream, and all the villains are good guys. And then Alfred is an old man, and it's all a psyop. And... Bruce gets a straight jacket with a with a perfect cowl attached to it because obviously why not, and that's the end of part one. Part two, Bruce goes on a rampage. Okay, Alfred is an old man in part two. I jumped ahead. So part two, I felt the same. I had the same strong feelings as with part one. Uh, we, we we meet Joker in a in a lamp. He's just ahead. Yeah, as of part two, I'm still very. Very, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, part three, we open up on a seemingly dead Mogo in Coast City. There are Green Lantern Will Babies. Um, and then they're, they're diaped up. Yours and diapers. Um, <laughs> and then we get. Vixen and Poison Ivy. They save still, still straight jacketed Bruce. Um, then part four is where it got really good, and I was like, okay, yes, I'm, I'm in for this. Uh, so really, that's the, that's the last part. Um, we find out that this, the whole part one and two was the inside of the simulation that. Uh, Bruce's machine. Do you all remember what that machine was called? I don't remember what it was called, but yeah, 
Yeah. So f- first introduced back in Snyder and Capullo's New 52 run, either it was definitely in the um, the super heavy arc, but I think even before then it was introduced in that Detective Comics 27 story. Yes. Um, where Bruce made a machine that would clone Bruce's forever and give them an origin story, and then they'd wake up when they reach a certain level of maturity and become the new Batman. Um, and so that's what it's this like. A, it's like a creepy crawler's machine for, for new Batman. Right, right, right. And so this is in the future. Everything has gone bad, seemingly kind of tying into some justice league stuff, which yes, we can yeah. talk about that more later. Um, and yeah, the future is bad. Bruce has got to save it. <laughs> Bruce and the Joker, the dynamic duo. Batman and Noggin. Batman and Noggin. <laughs> Batman and Noggin. So, so my my roller coaster of emotions were. I don't know about this. What on earth is this? <laughs> oh, I like this. <laughs> Vince. <clears throat> I love this thing. <laughs> From beginning to end, for all of its weirdness, I, I mean, I don't disagree, Zach, that there's some stuff in this that's like, tugging your collar, but like, but like, it's good. It's like over the top in a good way. And I think mm-hmm. it's, I think it's the, just the idea. <laughs> okay, this is why I love Scott Snyder. And, and the thing that I'm going to say up front is that this is what, like a, how many pages is this comic? 48. It's like six. Yeah, it's, yeah, right. The PDF was like 60 pages or something. Um, it's not all that wordy, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not wordy in the way that, like, like a James Tynion's written Snyder plotted book can be. And you sometimes forget. Like, to me, this is the, this is the, the, the leanest, uh, most fun issue of a comic that Snyder has written in a while, I think. Or at least it feels like it. And he just throws so much stuff at you. So many weird, over-the-top... Right from the right from that opening crime where it's not just... It's not just a chalk outline of Batman that's being drawn around Gotham. It's a chalk outline where one small piece of it is drawn and then it disappears the next day. And it, it does this for, you know, however long it a was. Year. A year. <laughs> 363 days and, yes. and every line was exactly five feet yep and then and then and and the and, heart of it is right in crime alley exactly yes, yes. so so bruce is looking at this big screen where he's got a composite shot of every one of these lines which has disappeared by now but he's got the image of it that forms this bat and then he's got like the big cartoony heart in the center which is crime alley because of course it is which he could have probably figured out like way earlier, yeah. you know. <laughs> but like, I have, to, I have to wait until it's complete to be sure. Well, he had to wait till it's complete to 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 get there and get yes, shot yeah, by the yeah. thing, right? So, I mean, in that way, it does make sense. But, but I like, mean, in a, it is kind of dream logic, though, in a way, you know. Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just like that is such a that is such a like batman mythology idea right Mm -hmm. um 
it it's it's something that plays upon Batman's history, and yet it's not quite something we've seen before. Um, it's something that could only be in like a Batman comic. Um, it's fantastic. And then you move to, then you move to something even more ridiculous, which is that you know Bruce wakes up, and Alfred has concocted this world <laughs> for him to live in, where he hopes that Bruce doesn't go back to being Batman, right? And makes it seem like the entire Batman thing that he lived was just some sort of fever dream or something. <laughs> to the point where the he fashions a bat suit as a uh, a straight jacket to make Bruce think that this is what he's been this whole time, you know? Um, I love the Capullo art there in that scene where, like, Bruce's eye opens and then there's the really detailed fly flying around. Which, um... Quick note, I think that that might be a visual callback to particularly the death of the family arc. Mm. Um, there, I, I seen, I remember flies being very prominent in that arc. Interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember that, but that's, that's a good pull. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I love how all these different people around the hospital are. You know, there's clearly like uh, Snyder's zero year Riddler walking around, but just as like a an orderly or something. You know. Oh, what's it? What? Oh yeah, his Riddler. What? What's the Joker's name in this? Oh, uh, Redmond. Uh, Redmond Hood. Is that it? Yeah. Red Redmond Hud. Yeah. Hud. Okay. Yeah. And the the best name because it's the one that Snyder tried the least for is is the Al Ghul one. Hang on, where is it? <laughs> Yes. Al, Dr. Algol, I think. Dr. Algol, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just, zero effort put into that name, but it's still Yeah, great. I have to give him credit on Redmond Hud, though, because yes, I'm agreed. like, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I'm trying to anagram it. Yeah, me like, too. What? I did the same exact thing, Vince. <laughs> yeah, and then I'm like, oh, wait, Red Hood. Because <laughs> Red, yeah, Redmond, like, who spells Redmond that way, by the way? Like, if you, if you try to Google the name Redmond, it's spelled differently most of the time you know yeah um but but anyway that's like that's a huge over-the-top idea and yet i don't want to say it feels credible but no but, it does but, anyway go ahead finish your thoughts because I, I have some thoughts on the share well what i was gonna say was i don't know if it feels credible but by the end the emotional shit between him and alfred because of it and because all the of all the work that Alfred put in and because he's hoping against hope that this will work that's what sells it and it kicks so much ass <laughs> what were you gonna say Brian well what I was gonna say is that I think that one of the things that Snyder has done better than almost any other bat rider is establish this idea of Bruce really being Alfred's son like, mm. he's done a really great job throughout his run of showing the fatherly love that Alfred has for Bruce. I think so many times writers just conveniently make Alfred the manservant, the very dedicated manservant. But, like, in Snyder's entire run has been built around this idea of Alfred's, like, paternal love for Bruce. And so as over the top as the idea of getting Toy Man to build a half mile of Gotham for him to play in, like that feels like something a father would do for his son. And I think that Snyder's Alfred is 
maybe the best bit of his bat run. Um, sure. It's just it's 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 so good. And I think it really rings true. I mean, it just if you try, I mean, it's comics can't apply that much logic. But just think about the role Alfred has had in his life. There would be this great sense of protection that Alfred feels towards Bruce. And I think that Snyder captures that so well here. And that, that scene was really emotional. And just the there's a line, I'm not going to pull it up exactly, but something like, you know, we can take one last walk together and then say goodbye. Just a mm-hmm. heartbreaking line if, you know, that's not really Alfred, this is not really Bruce, etc. But just the idea of this father getting ready to say goodbye to his child forever. It's, it's a really sad and beautiful sequence. And I think that, Zach, I totally understand why you would have had trepidation about the story at the beginning, because there were parts of it I did as well. But like Vince said, to me, the emotion behind Alfred's interactions with Bruce made all of that work very, very well for me. For sure, for sure. Once you get the context of what's happening and and understand it all it's really good um but there are a lot of layers here and it on a, on first read you don't really know what is real and what's not real sure yeah um yeah because i mean i this is real alfred correct i mm-hmm. mean yeah, yeah yeah this is yeah well this you, is real alfred yeah it's, it's real alfred but it's real alfred um, but it's not real Bruce. Right, it's clone right. Bruce. Yeah. Yeah, I, I said it's not real Alfred before. My mistake. What I meant was it's not real Bruce. Right. Um, but it but it might as well be. Sure, yeah. In, in the context of the story. I would say um, it's even sadder that it's not real Bruce. Right. Uh, because Alfred is just... Alfred's grasping at at any straw, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that stuff was all really good, and and especially you know it, it kind of makes um, that last arc of All Star Batman even a little bit more touching because that was so Bruce and Alfred centric. Yeah, it's true. Um, I hadn't thought about that book since the last time I read an issue of it. <laughs> well, that was a long time ago. Yeah. I know, but um, yeah, it does feed into this really well. Yeah. Um, I also have to say, like, I know this is a black label book, and they're trying to push the boundaries a little bit, and the Joker curses a little bit here and there, but it wasn't the over the top black label book I was sort of fearing we were gonna get. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. It it felt. Yeah. It felt like appropriately bleak and apocalyptic in times, but not not over the top. Yeah, honestly, you know, there were some issues in their New 52 run that pushed the boundaries way further than this did. Not necessarily in terms of language, um, because I think we do get like a couple shits here yeah. and there. Um, and that's the extent of it. But in terms of like violence and things like that... Um, or just like frightening images, I guess. I don't know. Like, there there was stuff in their run that was way worse than this. Um, sure. Uh, it is kind of funny that this falls under the mature readers imprint <laughs> thing. I, I think these. I think Black Label is already kind of a um, diluted imprint. 
yeah, it's or a not, little maybe not disingenuous, yeah. I guess I should say. Yeah, I think I think they're maybe gonna abandon it, basically. Basically, as soon as all the books that that have been announced come out, I think. I don't know mm-hmm. if they're gonna abandon it. Maybe or not. Just... Maybe not abandon, but it's maybe not like be re. A... Um... Not even rebrand because I think it'll still have the deep black label, but repurpose maybe I guess. Yeah, it's more think... of the prestige line now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um. Yeah, I think one thing people people forget is that like the first issue of Joel Jones's Catwoman had the word shit in it, so like <laughs> it's true. It's weird that it, it is weird what DC because because then other DC books will censor shit. You know? Yes. So, like, when do they decide, okay, it's all right if we're going to use it here, and we're, it's not all right if we use it here, you know? Um, but that's 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 a, a really small point. Um, there was something else I was going to say about... Oh, oh, before we move on to, like, other parts of this book, I love the transitions from chapter to chapter. I think, I think each transition kind of uh, happens with some impact. Uh, and none better than the one where Bruce and Alfred are sitting having their like heartfelt conversation, and then it cuts to part two, the right hand, and immediately it's Bruce Wayne kicking everybody's ass in the uh, to get to get out yeah. of the out of the hospital. <laughs> like, I just love that Alfred's like, just sit with me, son. <laughs> and then in the very next page, it's Bruce is just craziness. beating the shit out of everybody. Yeah. To get out, which is exactly what Bruce would do if he's when he's trapped like this, you know. Absolutely, um, really great. And then the next, and then uh, part three. Well, I guess it's not technically part three, but like the next major transition is Bruce popping out of the sand, <laughs> which is just a great visual of his hand coming out of the sand and pulling himself out. Um, man, this book just rocks, like. This is metal, you guys. <laughs> this is metal, yeah, yeah. Very. Oh, I almost kind of wondered if that was where this was going. Honestly, at first, I I thought, you know, oh, dark multiverse stuff. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if there's an element of that eventually, because because as we alluded to already, this is tying in a little bit with Snyder's Justice League stuff. Mm-hmm. Not just a little bit. There's a lot in this issue. Do we want to? Do we want to move to that? Or is sure. there anything else to cover? Well, I, I I do want to talk about the Joker and his portrayal here, but we can do that after we talk about the other stuff. Yeah, so so essentially there's a backstory part where Diane is explaining to Bruce everything that's happened, and, uh, and a, a major piece of that is the, the thing that we've heard so many times before in, in Snyder's Justice League, which is that... Uh, Lex Luthor offered the people of Doom, uh, the people of Earth, to choose Doom, right, over over justice, mm-hmm. and uh, and they do, and the people of Earth end up tearing everybody apart, right, um, which is like a major theme we've seen in Justice League is that Lex Luthor is trying to careen Earth and its people towards Doom rather than hope. Um, and and in in this, I don't think this is the intended consequence that we're going to see in Justice League. I think this is supposed to be a a possible consequence, right? Yes. Sure. Yeah. But it's but it's interesting how that is the kind of fulcrum point for 
all the rest of the events of this book. It, it's also interesting how, like, Diana says that Bruce is the cause of this because he opens the doors to the people. Like, mm-hmm. he, he lets the people into the Hall of Justice. And then in Justice League right now, we're getting a story about how Bruce is the kind of... Uh, he's He's kind of being played as the antagonist figure but he's also the one that saves everything by making a hard choice i don't know it it doesn't really line up or i don't i don't think there's necessarily any kind of connection to make but it is an interesting symmetry i guess it is yeah because if you if you took this book you know five ten years from now as like a standalone hardcover you don't need to know anything about snyder's justice league to get it yeah but the parallel is there that makes it really interesting for people who are reading both that that this is one possible outcome of the events that are going on over there. And I really like when DC allows that to happen. I think, uh, you know, there was a lot of stuff in the 80s and 90s where there would be these um, side stories or other books would affect the book you're reading right now. And if you look at it from a historical perspective... You know, if you go back and read a really great run or a really great trade paperback from 30 years ago, you you have a great story, but there's elements of it that are like, "Mm, was this something that was going on in the DCU status quo at the time, you know? The, The biggest one I think of all the time is in The Death of Superman, there is a member of the Justice League who it turns out is Martian Manhunter in disguise. Uh-huh. And that's and it's it's a bloodwind, right? Bloodwind, yes. And you kind of find that out during the run, but not really. But you can tell, <laughs> like, oh, this is something that's obviously been talked about a whole lot. But when you read the trade now, it just kind of is a weird like footnote that never fully gets established. Or sure. the best example, I'm sorry, I should have led with this one, is that you see Supergirl there, and then she gets punched and is just protoplasm. <laughs> and if you don't remember the, uh, the the Matrix version of Supergirl, you're just like, oh, why is Supergirl melted? And why is she now is like, a, like a husk of a purple thing? You know, uh, so, yes, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, uh, I, re- I really love this team that that rescues Bruce from the desert. I lo- First of all, I love that they're an invisible when that door slides open. That's such a like, what the fuck moment, yep. you know? And then you realize that they're in like an invisible tanker, and I love the team: Vixen, Poison Ivy. Uh, who else was there? Supergirl, Wonder Woman, and Donna I Troy. That, yeah, I think that's Donna Troy. Yeah. Um, which interesting. She has like a black star on her face, which is like a dark star. Oh callback. yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's just a really interesting team, and it's it's all ladies, no fellas either. Yeah, so yeah, they're Amazon. Fella in sight. I I was a little sad that it Amethyst wasn't there because they're in Gym World. Yeah, Gym World is very popular right now. Um, so hot right now. You know this. Um, I feel like one of the things that this book is already delivered on which is I didn't expect it to deliver on at all, is Snyder and Capullo have been saying this is their last Bat story, and like I said, I don't believe that part of it. But they've also said 
that this is, in a way, the last Batman story. And this feels like that. Mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. Is be- this has been set up to... And look, Batman's never going to end. Never, ever, ever. But this is written in a way where it does feel very final. Especially the reveal... Not reveal, the hint that... Is it Omega? That's the name of the villain, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That Omega might be one of his disciples. Like, that just feels like a very... Of course, at the end of this, Bruce is going to have to face one of his children who yeah. he let down in some way. Of course, that's how it's going to end. You know, there's just a lot of moments like that in this book that are just so well so well put together. And there really is a, a dreading sense of finality to everything here. And I'm just, I'm here for this, man. I really am. <laughs> Also, it's just great to have Snyder and Capullo back together. Yes. They 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 just go together so well. Yeah. Um Capullo's art rocks so hard. Yeah. Like, it's just so it's so good. Everybody looks great. I love all the perspective. He does a lot of like zooming in and zooming out. Eerie close-ups on the Joker's eyeball. Just Oh man. Always interesting. Always keeping it, keeping it real. Absolutely. Giant um, green, green babies. Yeah. Let's talk about the Joker for a second here. What do you guys think of the way the Joker is sort of played here? Uh, Zach, you want to go first? I really don't necessarily have much to say about it. Um. Only because I'm not really sure what we're supposed to think about that Joker head. Um, Because it's the only thing that kind of just doesn't really make sense, I guess. You know, everything else is kind of explainable. But just having this Joker head that can talk and is in a lantern... I don't know if it's real or if what we're even supposed to think about it. Yeah, that would be interesting if it's a figment of <laughs> Bruce's imagination or something. Um, I think it is saying something that has been another big, if, you know, the Alfred thing, definitely true, but Arguably, I think the biggest relationship in Snyder and Capullo's Batman run is the relationship between Batman and the Joker. That's the one that they spent the most time building. Um, and I think the one that Bruce, I mean, that Snyder maybe uh, thinks is the most important. And um, you know, it's interesting. The Joker really doesn't do much here. Um, other than tell off-color jokes. <laughs> Which is, you know, I think it's the funniest the Joker has been in any of Snyder's work so far. I think he's making the most the, the most concerted effort to make the Joker funny here. Mm-hmm. And I think it I think it works. Man, I don't remember. So in 
Snyder and Capullo's Batman run, the Joker got cured. Did he get uncured in their run? That's a good question. To be honest, I don't remember exactly how that happened. So now, now there's three freaking jokers. I know, I, I know, I know. Um, and maybe none of them are the Snyder Joker. I am yeah, maybe, but do you, I think I remember like towards the end of Snyder and Capullo's run when when Gordon was Batman, you would have that. There was that scene of of Bruce who was still, um, you know, still had amnesia. He he met the Joker on sat with him on that park bench, and the yeah. Joker was was sane, went sane. Um, yeah, and I don't remember how that was resolved, or if it was even resolved within there. Run, I think we just started seeing the Joker show up again. Yeah, in, in Tom King's run. Yeah, right. Which and and I'm only half joking when I say like, what? is that even like, are those Jokers even the same Joker? Right, <laughs> right. But I'm, but, yeah, no. but the Joker in Snyder's Justice League. I oh, would, yes, exactly. Yeah. I would think just because it is Snyder that that would be the same joke. Like I would I would think if it were not the same Joker, that would have been made. Perfectly See, I don't clear. I don't I don't know, though, because I mean, maybe I, re- I really don't think we ever saw that Joker. We probably I'd just have, I'd have to go back and look. We probably missed a page where he like stabs his neck with some joker toxin and then goes smoking he probably did that you're probably right somebody stop me. <laughs> somebody stop me we need to just call up scott and ask him really yeah. quick um we could talk about this book all night but we have three other books we could talk about all night so we should probably yeah. move on any, uh, any, any closing thoughts for this I give it uh, five hot, wet kisses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this is um, this is very good. I um, this feels, you know, just uh, on par with anything that w- that was in their new fifty two run, which was very, very good. So agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, we're gonna go out of order and very ups- upset uh, somebody very much. I'm not gonna say who, but somebody. Zach, why be- would you be so bothered by that? Someone's gonna be very butt hurt by what's about to happen. Um, You're not supposed to say that. I'm supposed to say what? No, nothing. Is butt hurt a bad thing to say now? I think so. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I w- I literally wasn't aware, and I was actually making fun of the phrase and the way I was using it. I hate that fucking phrase. Yeah. Um, As you should. It's it's bad. It's it's yeah. because of. The spankings. Yes, that's why. Why? That's why his bottom is sore. Oh, okay. Yes, got it. Absolutely. Anyway, (laughs) um, so we're going to jump over to the Superman Leviathan Rising special because I think we should probably group uh, the other two books together uh, for, for a couple different purposes. So this book is written by Bendis, uh, Mark Andreco, Matt Fraction, and Greg Rucka, illustrated by Yannick Paquette, uh, Mike Perkins, uh, I'm doing this without looking, Steve Lieber, and Eduardo Pansica. Mm-hmm. 
Can I uh, can I give you my my series of emotions for this issue? Sure. Yes. Because it's just the Vince McMahon gif. <laughs> <laughs> Even the Supergirl. Yeah, the whole thing. It's all. It... I didn't think the okay, Supergirl maybe, maybe would be not, the fall maybe down not. part. You know, maybe just... not. No, the fall down part is it's Jimmy Olsen. Is Jimmy Olsen honestly? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the fall down. I fell down. I didn't even make it through the whole issue before I fell down. Um. <laughs> let, 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 let's let's hold off talking about that for a second okay? yeah yeah we will let's just let's talk about Supergirl very quick Supergirl is the one that really isn't that connected here it's fine right this is good yeah yeah the one the one thing is that they tease you with the with the manhunter running around in the background and it's Mark Andreco writing it uh-huh. and, th- and then he never gets to actually write her so I'm looking forward to the day that he gets to write her again yes I'm, I'm certain it's going to happen agreed that was good. Um, now, the Bendis Paquette pages were just sort of the precursor to Event Leviathan. Yes. Yes. And those were good. They were good. Um, I don't know if I have a lot to say about them other than uh, one thing I did note in the early pages, in the, in the first half, we have that scene in the daily planet where uh, Perry is talking to Jimmy mm-hmm. and Clark is just in the background, like spilling things on himself and <laughs> trying, to, like, clean, trying to clean himself up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so much fun. Yeah. This issue is just so much fun. The only thing I want to say about the kind of framing device thing is uh, so you've got this, woman and i can't remember her name but she's she like secretly runs the metropolis underground we've seen her in previous issues of the bendis run uh working with uh what's her name robinson good yeah yeah and miss leone is this miss leone that's right thank you and she she like has the original car from action uh comics number one right like that was that was her has some big implications in a later book but we'll get there yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Yes. That's interesting. I. I don't. I don't know if that's. I don't really think those are connected, but probably not. But it's a weird coincidence. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Um, but I love. I love that this uh, Leviathan person who's doing the face changing stuff, which we saw a hint of in Action Comics last week when they visited the Guardian in the. Yeah. In the hospital. Um. You're right because I thought that that was the question. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, I know it wasn't, but the, we hadn't seen this yet, so it just he he said something in that issue like, "How are you doing that with your face?" Which the question doesn't have a face, so that's what I was led to think. But you're right; this sure. it was clearly this guy. Yeah, um, I think the at the end of that issue, the question was standing above. Uh, Sam Lane's hospital bed, which probably made you think. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I just thought the way that the Guardian was talking about sure. his face and not it being yeah. weird. I, I just because the question had been visiting people. Sure, but then why would the question be offering we don't him need to, to focus join? On this. We have so much other stuff to talk about. <laughs> okay, why would uh, well, okay? Why would uh, why would it be offering him what? A spot with Leviathan. I guess I just didn't that I maybe I just didn't read that closely enough. I didn't think that's what was happening in that scene. 
Maybe okay, I just well, misunderstood. Okay, we'll we'll keep going. Anyway, I like this face shifting stuff, and I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure, like I see a Jeff Bridges or maybe a Bo Bridges in one of these. I see uh, Rudy Giuliani <laughs> as one of these uh, face shifting things. So that that was that was very see. fun <laughs> fun art stuff. I'm going to send you the one that's kind of Giuliani okay. while you guys talk. Is it somebody just shitting their pants because they <laughs> have no control of their mental state anymore? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It is. <laughs> uh, so, I love, love, capital L-O-V-E, love, the idea of Clark getting himself kidnapped because it's something Lois would have done. Yes. And it's just... Italian chef kiss emoji. So good. <laughs> he shows up and he's like yawning, like, yeah. oh. And, and the whole idea of everybody knowing how bad of an actor he is yeah. is just a really bendis touch, but a really great one. Um, Superman can't lie. Yeah, Superman can't lie. Everything about that part is so, so good. Um, did you notice Lois was wearing a Wonder Twins shirt? I did notice that, yes. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, Clark apparently gave a mouthful to Young Justice. Yes. <laughs> yep. Because those youngsters had to learn to clean up after themselves or whatever he said. Like, I love know. shit like that. So good. So good. Um, and, and I also feel like we haven't really known. We've seen some stuff with Leviathan, but we haven't really figured out what event Leviathan is just yet. And this issue did a better job of sort of giving us, getting us caught up to speed with that stuff. Even though I still think it's relatively vague what's actually happening here. Yeah. And I mean that in a good way. Like, I think sometimes with events, we've had creators come out and say, like, well, it's this, this, and this. And that, at least I haven't seen Bendis do that. It seems to me like it's still relatively mysterious, and it's just really good. I'm very yeah. excited for this event now. They, it, he did thankfully give a little bit more clarity about what is happening with Leviathan itself, I think, because yes. I, I have been like a little, not, not necessarily like confused, but curious about what Talia's place in all of this is. Um, just because the way Bennis has been handling Leviathan is different than the way Morrison and others have handled Leviathan and, now we know that there is this other character who has kind of usurped Leviathan from her. Right. Um, which I guess, was some of that in Silencer too? Um, Did you guys see in the latest solicit for Event Leviathan that Silencer is <laughs> in that book? No, I didn't, I didn't that's see crazy. that. Yeah. Man, Bendis is bringing everything together. God damn! I don't know if I like that. <laughs> you you tell me you you have had your fill of honor guest. Yeah, yes okay. I have. Yes, okay. I'd um, like to show my guest the door. <laughs> Be our honor guest. Try the great stuff; it's delicious. Um, <laughs> let's. Uh, but let's dig into the the other two stories. The thing the things we're really here for. Uh, Mike not the per goofs. No, not the goofs. Uh, Mike Perkins and Greg Rucka on Wonder Woman. Let's start there. Okay. Vince, 
Tell well, Lois Lane, right? I'm sorry, Lois Lane. I'm sorry. I meant Lois Lane. I have Rucka on the brain. Uh, Lois Lane, yes. Yeah. I mean, Wendy shows up, which is... Yes, she does. This feels to me like something that Rucka has been waiting to write for a long, long time, right? Which I think it. I think a Lois Lane book is something that we've heard rumored or kicked around for, like, decades, right, from Rucka. <laughs> Like it, it's always something that that we've wanted him to 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 write, and that it seems like he wants to write. And I think he's got the perfect voice for that character. I don't think Bendis is, you know, Bendis's Lois Lane is great too. And I, I think uh, this Lois Lane fits like a glove with that one. Um, but it just goes to show like how good Rucka is at these characters. Um, that this part, it's it's just so like. Uh, pithy and funny at times and yet uh you know serves the task of fitting into event leviathan really well um i thought this part was really nice zach yeah no same the it, it really like this whole issue entirely you know kind of highlights just how important and good lois is um and and just how you know smart and you know kind of she the way she like deduces what has happened and the way she handles batman and and really the whole thing was just it was really good yeah and 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 i was a little bit worried really quick just about um i i wasn't sure how mike perkins would be as a fit on this uh on the lowest book uh, because I think the most recently we had seen him in some of the Green Lanterns issues, and I didn't necessarily love his work there, but this it's a good fit for this, which is more of a kind of like street-level crime type thing. Yes, I was going to say, this is way grittier than I think any of us would have imagined a Lois book looking. Yeah. But I think it's a good fit for the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and an inspired choice. And I'm sure Rucka had a lot to do with choosing his collaborator here mm-hmm. uh and it's a very inspired choice i think perkins um it's gonna be really interesting to see if the book stays the sort of gritty street level reporter book which i think would be very cool or we move into something that's a little bit less uh maybe that's what I'm looking for. I don't, I, I don't want to say less visually daring, because that that's, that sounds like I'm being insulting towards the book. I don't mean that. I just mean something a little, maybe a little more traditional for Lois. Yeah, I don't know, because, I, I mean, we'll get into this a little bit more, too, after we talk about J- the Jimmy book, but we had talked before about how much we thought that these miniseries were going to be tying into and, and being involved with Le- Event Leviathan, and... I think initially we kind of thought, well, maybe not so much, but now I, I do kind of wonder a little bit. Yeah. At least they're framed by Event Leviathan. Yeah. You know, if nothing else. If nothing else, yeah. Um, if this were a standalone story, I think I'd have a lot more to say about it. But knowing that the Jimmy Olsen thing is right around the corner for us to talk about, I kind of don't want to talk about anything else but the Jimmy Olsen story. Yeah, we ha- kind of have to. <laughs> Okay, so, Vince. Yeah. I know you're not the biggest Fraction guy. 
That's not true. You don't like uh, sex criminals. I don't like sex criminals. Yeah, that's which is which is to me the most fraction book. I, it's I, not. I guess that's what it is. I guess to me, I feel like that is the most fraction book. Um, it's, see, the only, it's the only you... fraction book I don't like. Okay, you're not much of a Zdarsky guy. I, I, I'm not I, a Zdarsky I guess, guy. I guess okay. that's what I'm thinking of more. My apologies. Anyway, start us off, buddy. Uh, I love this. This is <laughs> this yeah. is fucking nuts. First of all. I, I mean, can we can we spoil the big thing from this right off the bat? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's he's he's palling around with freaking Dexter. Yes. When that blue cat showed up, I was like, no, that's just a blue cat. Just a blue yep. cat. It's not Dexter. It wouldn't be Dexter. And then it pukes blood all over the place. Yeah, and I was like, for two pages. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, it is Dexter. This is wonderful. It's so weird how, how the 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 story. I mean, this is the genius I think of what what Fraction and Lieber are doing here. You're you're you you learn about the cat early on after this lady ditches Jimmy Olsen in the in the hotel room, and you go, oh, that's just a cat, and then a couple more pages go by, and you go, wow, they're really spending a lot of time on the cat, <laughs> but like you still don't know, you know. I, at least I didn't think it was Dexter at that point. I just thought like this is a, this is a, a long way to go for a gag about getting stuck with a cat, right? Right. And then the and then the payoff hits and just the way that that, I mean that is brilliant comic booking. Um, and the two pages of Dexter puking is like, you've got the you've got the crazy uh, letters going across the page to <laughs> yeah. to make the sound of the cat puking, and just. Red vomit every. I mean, that's that's comic books, baby. <laughs> the colors. This whole are so thing stark. is comic books. The whole yeah. thing oh. is comic. It's just great. It's the, just incredible. <laughs> the the fifth dimension funnies. Um, yeah, yeah. The um, fact that the fact that he's caught up in a gorilla, like they get drunk off of what gorilla wine or gorilla, gorilla sweet gorilla wine. <laughs> 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 well played nicely done uh, i love that i love that in the very first uh panel above the bed there's <laughs> there's a portrait of two gorillas essentially doing it yeah <laughs> yes yes um, um um this may be a stretch but i did think this especially with this this lady's costume and the fact that she saved a cat i thought that maybe she is some kind of like other universe Catwoman. yeah that thought kind of crossed my mind too um that's interesting actually yeah we should i should after we're done here i should think about that a little more and maybe like look around for other cat women that have been in the because that's a very that seems that seems credible to me, Zach. I think you might be right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I just oh. What? What? Uh, I was just googling Nick's and DC, and the the only two hits I get are Nick's Wotan and <laughs> Nick's and an assassin and master of disguise hired to kill Green Arrow. 
created by JT Crow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <baby>. Okay. <laughs> um, was it Nix or was it Jix? Oh, okay. I was off anyway. Um, forgive me. Uh, anyway, I do want to say a couple things about this issue um, or this 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 piece of the comic. First of all, I love the um, we've been sort of seeing it a little bit in Bendis' run how Jimmy Olsen's a coxman and how <laughs> yes. he just, you know, Jimmy likes to and apparently is good at fucking and I feel like that's very different than the Jimmy we've seen in the past and uh, that's good <laughs> that's an interesting and fun story uh, device for him to be now the guy who's just, you know uh, Jimmy likes to bone down, that's good um, what? That's like a Seinfeld thing. Jim, the the Jimmy. You remember the Jimmy <laughs> yeah. from Seinfeld? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's 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 crazy how Martian Manhunter, or not Martian Manhunter, Doctor Manhattan made Jimmy a Chad. <laughs> <laughs> in some ways, it's it's the Chad Jimmy Olsen and the Virgin Clark Kent because <laughs> yeah, his yeah. sex is always getting interrupted in it's in true. this run. They never have time for it. Uh, you guys get this show for free. Just remember that, okay? <laughs> you guys get this show for free. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, Jimmy likes to fuck. Um, I also like how they're giving him this, like, background prestigious art career. A photography career, yes. like you know, in the in the first issue, you're seeing this beautiful book that's on display, and then when he wakes up naked in bed with a chick, there is a copy of his book in bed with them. <laughs> it's so great. Um, it's oh man, this this Jimmy who 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 has who has a ranked collection of tweeds. <laughs> this was his fifth best My tweet. Fifth best tweet. <laughs> uh, like you know, he's bow tied. He's tweeted. He's hard, and he's famous. This is the best Jimmy Olsen we've ever had. And he's ripped. Yeah. Like, what did she say? Like low key ripped or something like that. Uh, little guy, you're weirdly ripped for such a little guy. That's what it is. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Jimmy Olsen and Dexter. Truly the combination none of us saw coming. <laughs> I want to circle back to that at the very end of this discussion because there's something that happens towards the end that I really love. Sure. Um, but um, let's keep going. Yeah, one small thing I did. I liked how the Lois and Jimmy stories were connected by their text message conversation. Yes. <laughs> yes. Getting, getting to see both sides of that was not a huge touch, but... I, it was nice. I liked it. Agreed. Um, so, in closing, before Vince gets to his thing you want to talk about, is this the best... First of all, DC should do more of these type of anthologies. The sort oh, of yeah. setting up an event and a new status quo with these little mini-stories. But is this... Is this the best... DC tease. We just said this about Year of the Villain. That was a really good tease issue. But is this the best DC tease issue we've had in years and years? <laughs> I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. This was really yeah. good. 
So Vince, what yeah. did you want to say about Dexter? Uh, so I just wanted to say that um, when <clears throat> Lois and Jimmy end up rescuing Clark from, from his kidnapping, which, by the way, I love that they resolved that in this issue. I was a little worried yep. that, like, mm-hmm. oh, Superman was going to be off the table for a few issues because, because you know, Event Leviathan has been pitched as, as like, a, you know, Batman's on the cover, right? Mm-hmm. It's It's been pitched not as not a Superman event, but but that there's more involvement from these other characters. And I was a little worried, oh, shit, they're going to conveniently sideline Superman for a while just – you know, while they tell other parts of the story that, you know, Superman could come in and easily resolve, you know, but I love that they rescue him in this preview issue so that we don't have to worry about that being the case, you know? Yep. And I love during that scene that this team shows up to rescue Clark and you never see the team come together. And they're, they're in this weird arrangement that you have to kind of in your mind, put together what happened because (laughs) Like Jimmy Olsen shows up in a huge gorilla suit, uh, <laughs> with Dexter in the Red Lantern outfit yep. on his shoulder. Lois is wearing a Talia Al Ghul Costume. disguise. Yeah, <laughs> and Firestorm is there because why? <laughs> because he has fire on his head. Yeah, oh, it's right. so it's so good. It's so good. And I and love it... when comics do that. I wish they would just trust the reader a little more. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's right. This is a story that never needs to be shown yes. because the imagination is better than anything that could be on the page. Yes. What a great issue. Yeah. Just utterly fantastic. Yeah, this is the best way to start an event because I'm sure Event Leviathan will probably have some tie-ins and things, but this highlights kind of the, you have representation from action, Supergirl and the Jimmy and Lois books, which those two, you know, we still don't know how important they are, but, but clearly like it, it ties up all the threads that, that Bendis has kind of been building with his overarching Superman universe i guess um besides the unity saga stuff which is off in its own world yeah um yeah no this was really good well let's take a break and we'll be back after this to talk about at least one book that isn't really good (laughs) gee i wonder which one (laughs) We're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back with the discussion of the 
thankfully, final issue of Heroes in Crisis. This is, of course, written by Tom King, illustrated by Clay Mann, and... I don't know why you're so down on it when you and Zach got everything you wanted. Fuck you. I mean, you wanted Batman to kill somebody uh, last week, so... I mean, you got what you wanted. You got... First of all, first of all, we did not want Batman to kill somebody. (laughs) That's not what I heard. Yeah, well. I just wanted Batman to take responsibility for his actions for once. And in this situation, Wally did not take responsibility for his actions. He tried to cover it up in the most convoluted and nonsensical way possible. Well, that is why that is a major reason why this book is bad. Yes. Uh, Even even though I'm going to I feel like I'm going to defend it a little not much, because I don't like it, but there's aspects of it I'm going to defend. We'll start there, then. Are, is it the part where they spell out the title of the book in the clouds? <laughs> no, they, they've done that. You know, they did that in, like, I was the being, I was being sarcastic, because that's <laughs> high art, remember? <laughs> <laughs> it is. You'd have to be high to enjoy that art, yes. <laughs> um, no. What I want to say about this book, to its credit... And it's, it's similar to something that I've said from the beginning. I think there's a story here, right? I think, I think when Tom King set out in interviews to say, I'm going to explore superhero trauma and I'm going to explore how they deal with violence and the, these experiences that they've had that are otherworldly, that affect them so deeply... Um, I'm going to explore the therapy that one might go through were they in situations like this. I think that is so interesting, and I think there's a place for that. And I think that, you know, we we now know, I mean, we, we, we last issue, issue eight, all the shit with Wally being identified as the murderer went down, and we now know that through the end of issue nine, there is no erase... There is no erasing that. There is no undoing that. Heroes in Crisis went from beginning to end, and all these characters are dead for the time being. And it was Wally's fault, essentially. So so what I can say now is that I don't think it is wrong to tell a story like this. And I don't think making a hero accidentally kill other heroes because of their trauma or whatever is on its face a bad thing or automatically a bad story. Uh, I think there's a story you can tell there. I think it contrasts. Now, I I was joking with you guys a little earlier. I don't think it's the same situation as the battering that you guys were talking about last week. But I do think the point that you make stands, that if we want comics to do more interesting things with these characters or move the story forward... We have to be okay sometimes with them making mistakes or them causing major changes to the landscape that aren't necessarily always good, right? I think that's a valid storytelling choice. I just think lots of the choices made along the way by Tom King, by editorial, etc., were just so poor, so poorly done or, or ill thought out. 
um, that it adds up to a book that was really bad, <laughs> even if I don't think the idea itself is invalid. And before I let you guys talk, I just want to say that I, I think the, the major, major, major uh, mistake in the concept of this book is twofold. One, it's it's introducing Sanctuary and immediately making Sanctuary itself seem like the villain for the first eight issues or whatever. More than half of your series was spent talking about why Sanctuary was a harmful thing or the bad things that happened at Sanctuary before we even really knew what Sanctuary was. You know, Now, by the end of this issue, they go through great pains to show that Sanctuary is still running, heroes are still going there, and it's out in the open, it's not a secret anymore, and good is being done there. That's great. That is what I always wanted from this series, and that is a really valid and interesting idea for DC to move forward with. I just think, I think having such a violent tragedy murder mystery type thing be the first thing we learn about Sanctuary and to spend so much time doing that is a major misstep in talking about trauma. And then the other thing, the other mistake is bringing Wally back in rebirth, making him stand for hope, making him like the major centerpiece uh, on, on why you should reinvest your emotionally in DC again, and then making this happen to him. I think, there are other characters you could have used. Maybe I'm not being, maybe, maybe it's more impactful because of this, but I just think it's a bad choice myself. I think it's a really detrimental choice to the uh, de facto contract between DC and its readership about what they're getting out of a post rebirth DC comics. So anyway, having said all of that, I want to know what you guys think about everything I just said, basically. <laughs> okay. Brian, you want to go first? You want I me to go first? I hate this. <laughs> I yes, think, it's bad. I think this is the laziest possible way to end this story. Because in the end, all that's changed is heroes are dead. Sanctuary's still there. Wally is still the uh, the bad guy here. You it ends with Wally in fucking solitary confinement, and not that you shouldn't like you know if if even if it's accidental if it's superhero manslaughter whatever you know I understand there needs to be punishment there, but this is just such a bleak, disgusting, masturbatory piece of shit. I fucking hate it. This issue made me so mad. This issue is like a parody of how Tom King would write this issue. <laughs> You're not wrong. Oh, it disgusts me. And like uh, one of the things that drives me most crazy in media is when and it, this isn't I said in media because this isn't specifically a comics thing, is when there's a problem that's introduced and the solution is just, oh, it's not a problem. Like, wait a minute, we're stuck in the we're stuck in the loop here. Yeah, and it'll be a loop. Okay, move on. <laughs> like, what the fuck? That that's really your explanation here? Um, this is just this is such a bad comic. This is this is terrible. I in my heart of hearts, 
I want to believe this is the issue that Tom King kicked off Batman. And they read this and were like, now you're done. Of course, <laughs> it's not that, but that's what I like to believe. Um, I just think it doesn't solve anything. Like, even if... Even if there's supposed to be a story in here about trauma and about all the things that you talked about, Vince, I don't think that all those characters had to die to tell that story. No. Yep. I don't think there's anything gained from those characters dying in this story. It felt cheap in that way. Yeah. Zach? So, going back to what Vince was saying, I agree with pretty much everything that you said about um, about telling these kinds of stories. Um, per- so, I know you are just, like, ribbing Brian and I because of our take on Detective Comics last week, but I, I do think that, like, yes, these kind of stories sh- sh- can and should be told. My first problem with this issue and this series as a whole is that, um, because I because I said I, I um, like I want these kind of stories to happen and for there to be consequences and there are but I I wish that those consequences had been re- resolved through the course of the story rather than ending with Wally in this kind of limbo. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They spent yes. the entire series waiting to pin it on Wally, and now we are left with nothing. It's a story um, that's going to be told in some other book. Yes, exactly. So in that way, it's kind of an it's very much an incomplete story. Um, if the story is even ever finished, I could see yeah. Wally just not being talked about for a while, and then all one day being back. Maybe, uh, maybe. Um, this issue was particularly uh, had had a problem uh, with the the sanctuary monologues that were pointless. You um, mean like, you mean the interviews? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've I've got a few jokes about those that okay, I want to okay. riff through later. You you definitely should because that was just complete filler. Um, played no role in the book. I mean, um, well, let, let me hold on. The the one role it did play, which I'm going to I'm I agree with you. I don't think it I don't think it's sufficient and I don't think it's good enough, but the the role that it was clearly meant to play was to show that sanctuary was operational again. Sure, sure, I guess. Yeah. yeah that that's um, all I want to say. Well, even then you could maybe argue I mean, I guess we're to assume that all of these heroes are doing this later. I, some you of could them, also some maybe them, assume. Some of them talk about how it is re- reopened or still open yeah. within there. Oh, I see. Captain Adam does say that. Yeah. 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 Okay. I see what you're saying. Um, there is one good thing that King does with those interviews. Can you guess <laughs> what it is? Um, I, is, that, I, is it the that, Robbins thing? It is the Robbins thing. Okay. Oh, yeah. see, I didn't like that at all. Um, um, I don't think Dick doesn't know who he is. <laughs> yeah, well, we shouldn't he be Rick anyway? I was, I was, gonna, say, I was gonna say Rick um, literally doesn't know who he is right now. Yeah, he literally well, doesn't. He shouldn't. 
He yeah, should not I know mean, who he is. Yeah, I mean, some of them are also just, like, silly. The things that they're saying are silly. But um, you want to know my hot take on this issue? What's yeah. that? I don't, I, I don't think it's worse than Identity Crisis. I mean, I think the intent behind it is better than Identity Crisis, but I think the yes. execution is worse than... Maybe. That might be fair. Um, I, I think the intent behind Identity Crisis was to be seedy all the way through. Um, and it ended up in a really... In a really pretty looking and interestingly plotted book. And I think this has, I think at some level this has good intent and it's just bungled the whole way through. I mean, I see, I see what you're bros, saying. Bros before heroes, though. Bros, I bros hate before that. heroes. Oh, God, do I hate that. Um, <laughs> also, we do have to say that if there was ever any indication that Sideways was going to be the character to stick around, <laughs> he shows up in the, in the confessionals he's, he's here. here. That's um, the better. Uh, sanctuary interviews by the way because that yeah was very specific to sideways's story some of them felt like tom king was just pulling something out of his butt you know did you guys uh, also notice the direct reference to identity crisis yes dr Do light yeah dr light yes. thing. yeah 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 um do you um what do you guys think about the poison ivy thing do you, do you think that that was the original intent? I do. Yeah, because she wasn't listed in the first issue's casualties. Like she popped up as being dead later on, you know. Um I think it was supposed to be there as tension for Harley. Harley. Yeah. But that but that it would ultimately be resolved because um well, maybe this is something of a cheat, but I know Tom King has been talking well before Heroes in Crisis was ever a thing about how uh, how Poison Ivy would be defined in Rebirth going forward. Because I know a lot of fans were worried about that. There's like the Poison Ivy League on, on social yeah. media, which I don't, you know. But but I know he, he had talked about how, you know, there's a, there's a plan for Poison Ivy's development in Rebirth, and that he started talking about that well before Heroes in Crisis. So, it, it she is maybe the most interesting thing coming out of this because she is she's very Swamp Thing esque in this. Well, I was gonna say, isn't Swamp Thing no longer the avatar of the Green? No, there's it's the yeah, Parliament. No, of... you're right. The, well, I actually think the Parliament of Trees is that's what was it. they're gone gone yeah um but the way she's speaking here yeah um do you they want sweet potatoes <laughs> <laughs> i would actually love and then this will never happen because it's a good idea but i i, I would love a book of like the heroes of the green. Sure. Or even like the heroes of the green, the red and the rot together. Mm hmm. Cause remember for a while, beast boy was a, was a red, um, 
How could we forget? Not only was he physically red, but he was like a creature of the red, right? New 52, baby. Yeah. Can we, can we talk about just how nonsensical this ending is, though, really quick? Because I'm just looking over it again and just thinking how much it does not make sense at all. Go for it. Like, you, So Wally does this thing, this weird convoluted time travel thing that ends up... So first he killed people. Then you think he killed himself, but he actually didn't because of time travel yeah and now he's just in jail yes so the and the only reason it's that convoluted is so that you could have wally's body at the site of all the murders at the beginning of the story so that you don't suspect him by the end that's literally the only reason i'm not even talking that's not even the part that doesn't make sense to me but like this whole story was about easily too like we just go through the century what but but the what doesn't make sense is this whole story is about dealing with like PTSD and and mental health issues and the resolution is to like just lock this guy up. Well, and that's that's part of the book's failure because I think what the ending is trying to say, and it doesn't come across very well, is that with all like the bros before heroes speech, you know, is that look, we're not just gonna we're not going to we're not going to kill Wally. We're not going to let him kill himself. We're not going to vilify him, but yet he still has to pay in some way for this mistake he made. You can't just let him go free. And so now yes, he's in solitary. I think the intent is as superheroes, we're going to figure out what to do with him next. But because this is the last issue, you don't get any of that. It's now nah, we're going to dump Wally in here. But don't you think that the stuff that Booster says is supposed to indicate, like, look, we know Wally can't just walk free after having done this, but, like, we need to be more sensitive about the fact that, you know, it was an accident. He's He was going through stuff. I don't think it comes across at all, but I think King is trying to say, like, when people are hurting and they make mistakes. I mean, we're talking about mistakes though that got like two dozen people killed. You know? And and the and the the comic seriously reduces the the stakes of that, even though they're really supposed to be really high. Well, and it also still shifts the blame on Wally, who ultimately like not that he can't have some kind of responsibility here, but we don't really get any kind of resolution in terms of like the Trinity and like making sanctuary and like creating this powder keg, essentially like creating the situation that let it happen. Yep. That's not resolved at all or talked about or mentioned at all. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And again, like they're the three most important characters in the DCU probably. And We've got none of their perspective at this point on how they feel about what Wally did. Are they going to be as understand? Like, by all rights, especially Wonder Woman and and Clark, they should be, like, some of the more understanding characters in the DCU, right? I'll take it a step further. We also don't have any knowledge of how Barry feels about this. Mm-hmm. An incredibly important person. Hal was always kind of like the uncle to Wally. You know, uh, 
for how it's got to be a big deal. The Justice League should be impacted by this. We don't know how the Titans feel about this, but what, what fucking ones are still alive uh, after <laughs> King? You know, but like, but there are so many, and like you said, there's not a follow up to this unless, you know, announced in the next month is going to be, you know, the Heroes in Crisis Fallout special for September or whatever. But by that point, we're going to be moving on to the next thing anyway. It just, to me, this feels like an incredibly incomplete ending. Mm-hmm. And it's also that last page is just the worst, I think, because it's it's Booster and Blue Beetle just yucking laughing it up. it up. Yep, just yucking. You have Harley and Ivy, which is that's, that's fine. They are reunited. That's good. You know, Booster you and have, Beetle are watching like Tosh Point or something. Yeah, like <laughs> what's the funniest show that they're watching? I mean, that's pretty good, Brian. Tosh Point. Uh, yeah, let's just go with that. Okay. That's probably... I'm trying to think... Um, oh, they're watching your Practical Jokers. They're yeah. totally watching your Practical Jokers. <laughs> they're watching Ridiculousness. <laughs> there we go. There it is. You're watching but... porno. <laughs> and laughing. They're watching a superhero porno. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they're doing. They're, yeah, yeah, yes. Yep. I don't know. It just the whole thing just feels so unearned and mean and spiteful and mm-hmm. yeah. And again, the tone is all over the place. You know, yeah. there's a Harley knees uh, Wally in the balls. I, that's not supposed to be completely funny. I'm not saying it's like a joke, but like it is a really weird. <laughs> it is. It is almost a joke. You know? It is. It is. And it's just all I think like I keep circling around this, but it's like this whole series is like this is a character who is has has problems, is broken in some serious ways, and it's just continually beating him up. Yeah. Yep. I, I um, said this maybe halfway through, and I I stand by this. The idea of making Wally feel isolated because of his family not being around anymore is not a bad storytelling device. Mm-hmm. And there is a way to tell that story that I think could have been very interesting and very... Uh, what's what I'm looking for? I think it could have been very moving. Yeah, but I think that anything you do now with Wally, any redemption you try to give Wally, like we talked about in our text, this is now his Zanchi. Yes, Th- this is now the thing that will constantly define him. Whenever, whenever he gets put on the Justice League, twenty years from now, someone's gonna say like, "Really, you're putting Wally West in the Justice League? Remember what he did at Sanctuary?" <laughs> and it's going yep. to be a thing for the rest of time. And yep. it sucks so much to have that there. There's Wally is and and here's the thing that I don't think King gets. And you see this with his treatment of everyone that isn't a first generation hero. King's Batman run has been terrible when dealing with any of the uh second or third generation Gotham characters. He doesn't get legacy at all. And I think to him Wally is just the other Flash. I don't think he understands 
the role that Wally plays in the DC universe. And maybe he wanted to give him a role to play, but it's the worst role to play. Oh, yeah. Think about that Rebirth special and how Wally's return was the emotional linchpin of everything. And the fact that Linda didn't remember him and his kids were missing was like a major... It was a major uh, like breadcrumb for Wally's story going forward, right? Mm-hmm. That has all been stopped in its tracks because... And I, I'm not saying the wrap-up should have been easy. I'm not saying, like, all of a sudden Linda should get back together with him and they should have their kids again. But, like, this makes it seem like the promise of Rebirth, the emotional linchpin of it, had a grenade thrown at it. <laughs> and not only that, I'll take it a step further. If somehow Wally does reunite with them, it's not a pure victory anymore. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that should have been the a fist-in-the-air moment when Wally finds a way back to his family. And now you can't do that. Because it's sullied by this. This is so yeah. bad. Yeah. So can I riff on a couple of these uh, yes, headshots? Please, please. Anything anybody else wants to say first? No. Okay, first of all... I want to call attention to the firestorm one mm-hmm. uh, near the beginning, which it's it's just the perfect example of the shit that Tom King does that makes me nuts. Firestorm, my head is on fire. I shouldn't joke. This is serious. I'm taking this seriously. So seriously, my head is on fire. Why do all of his characters talk like that? <laughs> Why does everybody always talk like that? That's like a Borscht Belt comedian or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mademoiselle Marie uh, looks like somebody's been reading Strauss. Uh, that's Tom King telling us uh, how much Strauss he's read because he loves to tell us uh, what he's been reading lately <laughs> in his writing. Um, the Hal Jordan one where he says, uh, What's Will I don't even, anyway? Yeah, I don't even know what Will What's is. What's the deal with Will? That I've been serves like use your will. What's will? That rings so false to me. The like Hal doesn't know what will is. Hal lives. Hal embodies will every day. That's his character, right? Yeah. I I find that one to be just completely like King could not think of anything else. You know. And he wrote that damn good. Hal Jordan Justice League Dark Side War story too. He did. Yes. Yeah. And. Hell's got daddy issues just sitting right there for the taking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hell's got Hell's got parallax shit. Hell has Co City. Yeah. Come on. So so what is Talk this? Talk about PTSD. What... Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and then <laughs> the Mr. Terrific one. Why does Mr. Terrific have Guy Gardner's haircut? <laughs> um <laughs> and then just the last one I want to mention is uh, Hardy Har Har on the Tom King Vision yeah. Red, Red Tornado joke. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if I caught that one. He says something about uh, I'm thinking about starting a family. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Who, who even knew who the Vision was before Tom King wrote him anyway? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
<sighs> Anything else about this? Uh, can we put this one behind us, guys? I, I... <laughs> See, here's the thing. I, I am not in favor of retconning things away. I think part of the fun of being a superhero fan is that you have to deal with this really stupid shit along with the really fun shit. But I wish they would retcon this away right away. <laughs> and I'll also say this. This is much worse than his Batman run. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, let's get to the big issue this week. And it's crazy that this is the big issue with all the other issues we had this week. <laughs> but Doomsday Clock, number 10, written by Jeff Johns, illustrated by Gary Frank. So, Vince, you went back and you read all of Doomsday Clock, right? I I did, but can I admit something? Sure. I After the first few issues, I just started uh, skimming past or breezing past anything that didn't directly deal with the DC characters. Okay. So, like, I skipped all the Reggie Rorschach origin stuff. The Mime and Marionette stuff I really breezed past because... That really, that really is still some very dumb and useless <laughs> aspect of this series, I think. So, so, before we get to this issue in particular, when you take just the DC stuff from this book, how is it stacking up? I, I mean, I think, I think the the, the DC centric stuff in this series is really good and really interesting. And I think, I think Manhattan's involvement in all of that stuff. And we'll talk about how this issue sort of lays that out for us is very interesting to the point where any of the other Watchmen characters showing up, any of the new Watchmen characters that Jeff Johns has invented for it are just, completely are by the wayside by comparison like if this were just dr manhattan versus the dc universe i think there's really something here and i can't believe i'm saying that because you guys know how down i was about the concept of this and this issue really sold i can't believe i think that it's good uh, now well <laughs> that i mean we i think we said from the from the get go, and then even more so when all of the Watchmen stuff was at the forefront, um, that that the kind of things that you're describing as the good parts are how Johns initially pitched it. Yes, yes, but I didn't only, even, only I didn't Dr. even really Manhattan. want yeah yeah I didn't even really want Manhattan messing around here, but now I've changed my mind on that. Um, but keep going. Well, yeah, I, I mean, we still have two issues left. But after this issue, I really do, like, I was left scratching my head, like, why any of that other stuff even happened. <laughs> and yes. that, that was also my big takeaway from this. Because when you think back to that first issue, there was only, was it two pages of DC stuff? Mm -hmm. Something like two, that. It was like, yeah, it was yeah the, three, the, two or three. It was the car crash of Ma and Pa Kent. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we got like four issues of almost no DC stuff. 
Yes. And then at some point a switch flipped and it's all DC stuff now. When was the last time we even saw Reggie? Like four issues ago or something. Yeah, it was when he got locked up, right? By Bruce? No, he broke out with the Saturn girl after that. Oh, he did. Okay. Okay. Excuse me. I I don't remember where he is at this point because I kind of skimmed. Kind of when when he broke out with Saturn Girl, that's kind of when I just started skipping any of the non-Manhattan stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, so I don't remember where he is right now. But frankly, I don't think it matters. Here's here's why that stuff exists, because John's <laughs> John's needed to tell a twelve issue story <laughs> with lots of nine panel grids, and that stuff, the mime and marionette and Reggie like origin issues, really pad that out for him, and. What does it serve to the actual plot of Doomsday Clock? Like Zach said, there's two issues left, so it could prove to mean a little bit more. But really, all it does, all the Reggie stuff does, is unite Saturn Girl and um, Johnny Thunder with with the Green Lantern, with uh, 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 the the. Alan Scott's yeah, Alan Scott. Yeah, I don't like the, the, not power battery, but lantern. Yeah, yes. yeah. Literally, that's all his story really ends up that's accomplishing. Right. Okay. So then, that is kind of dangling there. That will get picked up again. Um, sure, but like, why? Like, entirely too much time was spent yes, on that. Yes. Yeah. Same with same with Mime and Marionette, and I feel like the Mime and Marionette stuff. Why that exists is because remember. Uh, Dr. Manhattan made the choice to save Marionette because she was pregnant yes. with another with another kid. And that choice, if you if you contrast it with some of the choices he highlights near the end of this issue that he failed to make, there's a thematic element with those characters and Manhattan. But again, way too much time spent on them when by yeah. all rights, they don't really seem to matter. Except that they're going to be in Lindelof's Watchmen show, so. <laughs> so it's going to be great. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So I have a couple of things I want to talk about. Yeah. I don't want to bury the lead anymore. I want to talk about super, this, all the Superman stuff here. And we got something in this issue that I thought would only be hinted at that we'd never actually get which is that the New 52 is Dr. Manhattan's creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do we feel about that? I like it. It's that... a lot better than than Flashpoint and Pandora, that's for sure. I cannot believe how well this issue sells you on the idea that Dr. Manhattan would do something like that on this, on this world. And that... And that Johns is bold enough to say, like, he basically comes out and says, like, look, the shit that happened to create the New 52 is the the way that comics and fictional storytelling and um, science fiction fantasy has been turning for decades and decades into this dark, grim thing that's editorially mandated, basically. He basically blames... <laughs> Doomsday Clock number 10 is an issue that basically blames, like, 
Jim Lee and Dan DiDio for the way that things are, you know? Don't blame me. I voted for Konos. <laughs> but he also blames Watchmen, too. Like, he throws... The, the the thesis in this issue about the world of Watchmen is that everybody in that world is a terrible character, a terrible person. Yep. When Manhattan comes to this universe, he can't believe the kindness. He can't yes. believe he can't believe that uh, Carver Coleman checks the policeman's pulse who just nailed him in the head with a billy club. Like. The, the first guy he sees does something that he doesn't recognize in Watchmen. And that is such a admonishment of the Watchmen world, right? And it's not wrong. You read that book and Watchmen is intentionally grim and overrun with, you know, street gangs and terrible people. And, and most of the heroes are terrible themselves, right? Like, yeah, he's not wrong, but I'm just surprised at how, like how bold they're saying like, look, this is why everything happened. I mean, it, it, it kind of is undercut by heroes in crisis. Number nine, almost this week though, because even as doomsday clock is going on and making that thesis, you're still having those same problems running amok in their line. Right. Mm. And this book feels really out of sync with the overall DC universe right now, mm -hmm. especially with this idea of the metaverse. Oh, I love that though. I love it too, but is but that does not fit. There's so much stuff going on right now with various multiverses that it feels like it just doesn't fit in. Mm. But it, it kind idea. of tries to encompass mm. that though. It does, yeah. But no, I mean, it even do. mentions dark multiverses right. and right. like, uh, well, no, you're right. None of the other ones are, but this is like John's whole shtick is bringing everything under one umbrella and making it fit. Right. Mm -hmm. I think the metaverse is such a great, like I did the Italian chef kiss when he <laughs> said, this isn't, I'm not on one of the earths. I'm in the metaverse. <laughs> I like, I, I just, mwah, I love that. I love, I love going back through Superman's history and picking out specific dates and showing how, you know, the next time Superman, like, when the adventures of Superman TV show happened, all of a sudden the car that he lifts on April 18th, 1938 doesn't really happen again. It's gone now. And by moving Alan Scott's lantern, the JSA never forms, you know, Superman never shows up for the JSA meeting after his 1938 origin gets rebooted. You know, I, I love that. I love how it goes all the way up to the New 52. It encompasses the John Byrne Superman. And at every point, the, the metaverse affects what happens in... At DC editorial affects what happens, you know? It's... I love that idea. It's like, it's like Morrisonian. It is. It very much is. This issue really, really did it for me, you guys. The Legion of Superheroes thing, mm -hmm. the recreation of the, the Adventure Comics 247 mm -hmm. cover. God. Seeing seeing Frank right, drawing those characters again was very... <laughs> I, I liked that a lot. That, that action arc is still one of my favorite things that Johns has ever done. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Wall, uh, Wally West breaking through when the when the metaverse is like fighting back against yeah. Manhattan. Again, so funny that this is coming out in the same week as Heroes in Crisis number nine. <laughs> um, because, you know, it, it, this issue goes a long way to highlight how, like, how important Superman is and like how he's a symbol of hope, but also Wally. Like Wally is second only to Superman mm-hmm. in John's eyes. Which is why Heroes in Crisis blows. <laughs> One line that I really liked from this issue was um, when he's talking about the metaverse and he says, it's not our earth. It's an, or he says something about, it's not, this isn't, this isn't part of the multiverse as others believe it is the metaverse. And then he says, dark directions seem to constantly target hope. And I love that. I love the phrasing dark directions because what do comics like Marvel and DC constantly say when a character relaunches or they do a bold a new reboot direction. Or something. Yes. Yep. A bold new direction. And, and that, that phrasing is not a coincidence, you know, I, I love like John's does this better than anyone. I think kind of redefining like he and Morrison, but Morrison does it in a much more, you know, this is not subtle. If Morrison did this, he might not come out and say all those things exactly. But but Johns can do it, and he just lays it bare for you. And it's all intentional, and, and he it just encompasses everything. And it's it can only exist as a DC comic, which it feels like is something that only Jeff Johns could write in this way. And it makes me so mad that half of this is the series is Watchmen uh, shit that I don't think he's very good at writing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, this I'm, is the Galagoo. I'm so surprised that this of all things, like out of everything that he has written, like this is his big love letter to Superman. Yeah. It's just wild. Yeah. Um, it's wild, especially because... I feel like Johns has been at the crux of Superman a number of times, both in comics and then, you know, he had a small part to play in Smallville and then he was already sort of part of the DC brass when Man of Steel happened. So you would think there'd be plenty of times for him to get his love story to Superman in in a way that would feel more... Um, so I'm looking for, I guess, put it to shine a bigger spotlight on Superman. I feel like mm-hmm. this, this book is not going to go as noticed as one of those things would have. I don't know. I'm really curious to see how the reaction, we're recording this, uh, the Monday before release. I'm really interested to see what the reaction to this comic is. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I can see people, being really divided on it. Um, but I just love it. It's, uh, I read this issue three times because I was just taking in all of this, like continuity porn, you know? (laughs) So if we had to guess how this is going to wrap up, 
Oh man. Like what what do we think is going to happen here? Well, that was that was my can I okay, I, I just want to highlight the end of the issue because I was going to ask you guys that exact same question. Okay. The part where he says he goes I kind of mentioned this when we talked about his choice to save Marionette and her child. He goes through this sequence at the end of the issue where he says, you know, I I watched as Blake murdered that Vietnamese woman that he got pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. I, I watched Adrian do what he did, and I didn't apprehend him or have him arrested or whatever. And then he stands there and he watches the Nathaniel Dusk actor, uh, Carver Coleman, die, right? And he says... I'm a being of inaction on a collision course with a man of action, which by the way, I love that Superman that's a is a man of action. Line. So good. <laughs> that is, that's so perfect. Another Italian chef kiss was enjoyed during that moment. Um, but I think it's interesting how this issue does such a great job of actually selling you on the idea that Manhattan is looking at this world and actually taking his own inaction into account. That is something that I didn't think this book would be able to sell me, that it could change Manhattan's perspective in that way. And yet I bought it. So then my, my final question then is he talks about, you know, does Superman destroy me? Do I destroy the metaverse? If you're asking me what I think is going to happen to wrap doomsday clock up, I don't think, I mean, Manhattan is not going to destroy the metaverse because the metaverse is a, it's more of a concept. The metaverse can never go away because editorial mandates and things will always exist. Changes will be made to update origins. That's never going to change, you know? So you can't say within the pages of a comic that you're destroying the metaverse, right? It's not like an earth that you can destroy. It's like a concept. Am I, am I right there? Not a place, but a state of mind. You're you're right. I mean, yeah, it is story. And I don't think Superman is going to destroy Dr. Manhattan because that's not what he does. That's not what he does. Manhattan's... Definitely not in a Jeff Johns comic, maybe yeah. in a Tom King comic. Yeah. <laughs> or a certain somebody's movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so so what I think is more than likely going to happen is that we're going to have some sort of philosophical discussion between them or what how, what have you and then i i really do think manhattan is going to set very specific elements of this right and we're going to have the the jeff johnsian thing where the last issue will end with images of things that you could very easily see as future books or future storylines launching out of this it's going to be like the uh the flashpoint teaser flashpoint teaser brightest day type teaser stuff yeah we're gonna have a representative from the the legion and and jsa and all these things standing together a lot the blackest night yeah splash page yeah rise um is is jeff john's good again <laughs> Well, I, I think there's a more important question than that, which is, will DC let Jeff Johns do this stuff? 
Well, they're going to farm out a lot of these books. You know, they're going uh, to. That, that, yeah. Um, but what I mean is, like, like he's obviously doing this book. Right? Yeah. But is when this book was announced, it was supposed to be the keystone to something. Mm-hmm. Is it that anymore? I think it is. I think it is. It's maybe not the keystone to the thing that was originally intended, intended, mm-hmm. but don't you guys think they, they obviously can't announce anything yet because they can't be guaranteed of the day that Doomsday Clock number 12 is going to come out. They can't promise a bunch of books beyond Doomsday Clock 12 if they don't know that it's going to be there on time, sure. right? But don't you guys think that maybe it's not going to happen in the way that they wanted, but it is a perfect opportunity and a timely time to launch and relaunch a lot of stuff and and give them a boost. There was a story on Bleeding Cool this past week about how DC got walloped again in sales. And so the time is coming where they're going to want to do some sort of uh, all boats rowing in one direction relaunch type thing to, to goose the sales a little bit, right? Mm. Don't yeah. you think that whether whether the status quo of the DC universe is the same as it was going to be two years ago, three years ago, uh, that regardless, it's a perfect opportunity for them to do that? And we all know, we saw it, they can put together something like that in a matter of months. It doesn't take them long to say, like, hey, all these books are ending, we're going all new number ones, we're coming out of Doomsday Clock. Don't you think they could do it? I I definitely think they could, yeah. And I th- and I honestly sort of I don't know if we'll get like a whole line wide rebirth style thing. I really don't think it'll be that big. I think if anything, it'll be more like a DCU style thing where we get a few new books and some rebrandings and um, that sort of thing. But um. Yeah, no, I definitely think that that's what's coming out of Doomsday Clock. I think we might, I think the Killing Zone might be a thing still. (laughs) I mean, I honestly, like, I know we haven't heard much about that, but why would we when John's, like, hasn't finished this yet? You know what I almost think? Brian, did you want to say something? I did, but go ahead. Well, okay, very quickly. I almost think that it was kind of like a yo-yo or like an oscillation where, like, Doomsday Clock was going to be the thing that set the table. And then after the delays started happening and other stuff started happening in the DCU and Rebirth kind of came to an end, then everyone was like, well, actually, we're going to have the we're going to have the Scott Snyder Justice League stuff and we're going to have Tom King doing Heroes in Crisis and Batman. And that's going to be the way forward. And then don't you think that like part of me thinks that when they were like, oh, we got to get Tom King off of Batman now. Part of me thinks they're going to come back around and they're going to be like, you know what? We need Johns to redefine this again for us. <laughs> because, like, the Tom King stuff clearly didn't work the way that they envisioned it, you know? So so to me, it's almost like we had speculated before, like, yeah, they're going away from what John's vision was. And now they're like, oh, we got we to gotta get back to that. That's going to be a thing again. Um, See... Go for it. I don't think any of that's going to happen. No? No. I think that 
Doomsday Clock is going to signal a couple of new books that we've been waiting for. Legion, JSA, maybe some sort of Reggie book. So if anyone from the Watchmen universe is going to stick around, they're going to get a miniseries or a series of their own, I think. Um, but I, I think that it's going to be very simply launching two or three new series that were held up because of this. And I don't think Jeff Johns ever does a book this high profile again. Well, I think I don't... this is the end of him at DC. Oh, man. I don't think he's going to write any of the books coming out of it other than other than if he does some Killing Zone books. But, um, but I do think it is going to set the table... I think he's done at DC. That's crazy. I mean, he's still doing Shazam. Yeah, what are you, what are you basing this on? <laughs> I'm basing this on a number of things. First of all, Shazam has been delayed more than any other monthly book has been delayed. And part of that is because he's still involved in the cinematic side of DC, right? But anything that's been like the John's baby cinematically has failed. And he hasn't had a high-profile book that wasn't super delayed since Justice League. And he's no longer chief creative officer. And he's no longer an executive of any kind of the company. And I just... I get the feeling that time has passed this by, but this is too big of a deal to just ignore. And so they have to let him finish this because you couldn't let him not finish it. But I really think that's it. Oh, man. I don't know. I, I hope I'm wrong. I, I, I see – I definitely see where you're coming from. And I, I think I think that Rebirth was – I could easily see him coming back into the fold. But Rebirth was very much – I mean he started it and Doomsday Clock has taken longer than it was supposed to. Um, but I, I feel like they could just as easily, yeah, all of his other, like his TV and, and movie stuff has not done well, but they know that he's a known comics property and I could see them readjust that way and bring him back in. Maybe not as, and to the degree that he once was. Again, I don't because think... we have Snyder and B- and Bendis and everything. I but... think if the deal and Lee are gone, maybe. But there's been a lot said about how much the Dio and Johns don't get along. See, and I, I, I kind of, uh, I've kind of been thinking for a while now that the editorial structure at DC is pretty darn close to. to all coming down. I I don't think the Dio is going to be long for, and I certainly don't, although, although I've had my like quibbles with him over the years, I, I don't wish for that for him, but it kind of feels like that's where we're headed. What if, what if John's gets to Dio's job? That's, I could, I could see that. I mean, from your mouth to uh, Warner brothers ears. <laughs> See, because I wouldn't be surprised if if they decide that 
John's doesn't have the effect on the sort of movie verse or whatever they want to call it that they would like. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I do know that this was a good issue of Doomsday Clock, and I do know that there's a lot of exciting things happening here, and I hope that John's gets the opportunity either here or elsewhere to sort of continue to explore these interesting corners of the DCU because I think that while while Morrison represents the sort of infinite possibilities of DC Comics and I think where Snyder represents the um, the sort of uh, like the, Snyder represents that every character can go so much deeper no matter how long they've been going for I think what Johns represents for DC is just that the the cornerstone of the DC universe is hope and is legacy and is love. And I think that if you have to pick one of those three guys to be the avatar of DC going forward, I'd vote for Johns. As much as I love Morrison, I don't think a, a line run by Morrison... Unless we're talking, I, I would love Morrison to have his own imprint. I don't mean that. But I mean, shepherding the DC Universe, I think Morrison's a little bit too cerebral for that. And I think Snyder's a little bit too caught up in the details for that. I think Johns is the guy who can see the big picture and make it palatable for the masses. For sure. I mean, he's done that. At yeah. least in terms of comics. Yeah. All right, well, let's get to our lists then. Um, Small week this week. As Vince said, every week should be this small. Be great. Uh, The good list this week has Dog Days of Summer, which I can't wait to read. I haven't read that yet. And uh, The Wild Storm. And the OK list has a Catwoman and uh, Tech Annuals. Anything quick to say about those, Vince? Um, No, no, it's fine. Okay. What's coming out next week? Well, we have uh, Super Sons, number 11, Batman 72, um, Deceased, number 2, Deathstroke, 44, The Dreaming, number 10, Female Furies, 5, The Green Lantern, 8, Harley oh, Quinn. Time out for one second. Have you guys seen the solicit for Green Lantern 10? Mm-hmm. No. It's the yeah. Green Lanterns of the multiverse. <laughs> I, I actually think that yeah. that starts... Not in this issue, I think but it's the number next nine. One. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because this is like the Ollie team up. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Vince. Go ahead. That's okay. Harley Quinn sixty two, Justice League twenty five, Shazam six, Young Justice six. That's a good ass week, you guys. It's a big week. That is. Um, I think is that the. Oh, you forgot uh, Batman Teenage Ninja Turtles three number two. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry, Jeremy. Yeah. Sorry, uh, Zach, what are you saying? No, never mind. I was wondering if this was the end of the first Young Justice arc, and I don't think it is, actually, based on the solicit. No? Huh. We'll see. Well, if you need to get in touch with us, two-thirds of us on Twitter, I am at Brian Needs an App. And I am at Wilker Fox. If you need to get in touch with Vince, um, you can do so by having Dexstar just vomit up blood wherever you are and then write his name in the blood and he'll feel it in his soul wherever he is. 
And uh, hmm? sorry, go ahead. You know, you always go to some interesting places with those. Well, I don't think about it until a second before I have to say it, and then it's, I just look around my room and I see what's happening in in there. And uh, yeah, you're very good. Well, thank you, buddy. Anyway, enjoy your comics, guys, and we'll talk next week. I was holding solidarity with you, and I also didn't read it, just so that you wouldn't feel alone. (laughs) Thanks, Zach.